This sermon by Terry Virgo is the second of a three-part series on grace, given at the Vineyard UK Leaders Conference in January 2007. So that grace may increase, may it never be. How shall we, who died to sin, still live in it? Well, don't you know that all of us who've been baptised into Christ Jesus have been baptised into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Father, we thank you so much for the great truths we've already been meditating on in our worship. We bless you for your wonderful grace in strengthening us as we wait for you. We lift our gaze to you, Lord. We acknowledge our great frailty our weakness, our vulnerability, but we thank you so much for your total commitment to us. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Come Holy Spirit. We pray for a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. We pray for the truth to come and set us free. Why don't you just ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher right now? Come, Lord, we're here for you. We bless you for your promised presence. We ask you to guide us into truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, yesterday morning we saw the extraordinary scandal of the grace of God that he is prepared to declare us righteous to him who doesn't work but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly. His faith is regarded as righteousness. And God declares us righteous, gives us righteousness as a gift, sets us free from law, and puts us in a a wonderful, wonderful position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, often we'll find people not so much asking the question, shall we carry on sinning, but a kind of similar question, which is, well, it's great to know that I'm forgiven. It really is wonderful to know I'm acceptable to God, and that somehow God's given me a righteousness that I never earned. That's wonderful, but... How do you actually start living a holy life? How do you actually stop sinning? How do you get free 
from the power of sin that seems to prevail in my life. You'll find people asking that kind of question. Thank you for forgiveness, but how do you get free? It's a bit like in the Old Testament when you find the Israelites on the day of Passover, they knew that they were covered through the blood of the Lamb. You remember the story? God said that I will come through Egypt. I'm going to judge the idolatry. I'm going to judge the withstanding of my purpose. God came in frightening judgment. Every household was going to experience a death. And uh, we know that amongst the Israelites, it says they had got into idolatry as well. They were just as sinful. And God said, now you must take the blood of a lamb, uh, put it outside your door, and hide inside the house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That was the arrangement. And I can imagine maybe some of the, uh, uh, some of the Israelites hiding in the house and thinking, I do hope that the blood of the lamb will do the, do the trick. I hope that's okay. And I can imagine some of them opening the door and looking at it and thinking, I don't know, it doesn't do much for me. Uh, I just hope we're all right here. Uh, But the reality is this, that the blood was for God to see. The blood of the lamb is always for God, if I can put it that way. Sometimes uh, we, we kind of use language about the blood of Christ, not quite biblically, because always the blood is to pacify God. It's to bring peace to God, if you like. So the blood is always for God to see. God said, when I see the blood, I am satisfied because I know the worth of the blood of the Lamb. We will never fully comprehend it, but God knows its immense value. And God is at peace with us through that shed blood. You'll find the Day of Atonement when they offered uh, the blood uh, to God. It was in the inner sanctuary where no man could go. It was for God to see. And so, yes, God is satisfied. Therefore, we're at peace with God. Wonderful, wonderful. I can imagine uh, these Israelites saying, well, all's well with God for me. Right, the word comes, let's go. Let's get out of this land. Let's get out of slavery. And they start their journey only to find that the Red Sea is blocking their way. And suddenly, oh no, I'm I'm still in slavery. Because look, here come the Egyptians. Here here comes, I can see my old master. He's in the, he's came, he comes. And I, oh, thanks for forgiveness, but I'm still a, I'm still a slave. I know as a young Christian, that is precisely how I felt. I thought, yes, thank you for forgiveness, but if only I could get free. If only I could no longer be in slavery to all kinds of sins. I'd love to be actually free. And Romans 6 is going to be the chapter that's telling us how Christians get free. It's the most liberating chapter in the whole Bible. It's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his uh, chapter, his sermons uh, on this passage. The most liberating chapter in the whole Bible. To understand Romans 6 is ever so important for us and to feel the weight of it and the releasing power of it is life changing. And so here we find the question really is, how do you live the holy life? And there have been all kinds of different suggestions. Some have said, like I said yesterday, well, you must go back to the law and put yourself under these rules. Well, that isn't what the Bible teaches. It really isn't. It's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Apostle Paul gets very angry when people say that's the way you should go. No, you're free from that way. Now, some people would swing across to saying, well, just stop striving. Just, and they've come up with little phrases like, let go and let God. And, uh, you know, it's just a rest. That's all you have to do, you rest. I, I want to suggest to you that that isn't really what the Bible says. If it was, you know, Paul could have stopped here, couldn't he? So, so he could have said, so you're accepted. So, dear brothers and sisters, let go and let God. Bye-bye, love Paul. 
But, but he doesn't, actually. He goes on to say a lot more than that. And so to oversimplify by saying, well, to be holy, you just have to let go. No, that's not it. There are some things we have to know, and there are some things we have to do. This is biblical sanctification, if you like. Things you need to know, and things you need to do. Jesus said this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You must know the truth. In Hosea, God says, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. They don't know what's true for them. They haven't understood. And that would be true, I think, for many of us who are Christians. We're not quite sure what our status is before God. And this is a crucially important chapter for us. First of all, he's going to tell us some things we need to know. And then in the light of that, he's going to tell us some things we have to do. So that we can walk into complete freedom from the dominion of sin. Christians have been delivered from the dominion of sin. We're not only accepted as a free gift, as we saw yesterday, painting the sky blue as it were. It's righteousness as a gift. Now we're going to paint onto that the actual freedom from the power of sin as the Bible shows us how it works. We start justified before we even start getting sanctified. Isn't that good news? God qualifies us before he actually uh, changes us. It's a wonderful arrangement that God has for us. Hallelujah. And so justification and sanctification must never be confused, but they mustn't really be separated. They have to see there's a, a process now that begins to take place. And it's in the light of things that we now know. Let me just say one or two things as we press into these opening verses. Notice this. He's not going to say... I am going to describe to you something that has happened to some Christians and you can also be in that category. Some people live a very holy life. Some people have actually been freed from sin's power. I'd like you to come into it. There's an elite group who really are saints. They're amazing people. And you could come if you really respond. He doesn't say that. You'll find the recurring phrase is, all of us. All of us. So what he's describing now is true of everyone who is in Christ. All of us. Also, notice as we press on, it's all in the past tense. So what I'm going to say to you this morning isn't something to reach for. It's not something to fast and pray towards. It's happened. It's, an ex it's a, uh, a proclamation. It's a, it's a declaration. This has happened. It's an announcement. Don't you know, he says, all of us have had such and such experiences. And so, just to come back to those opening verses again. How should we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Something has happened to us that's very fundamental, which Paul is happy to describe as death. Our old self has died. Now, he makes reference to baptized into. Now, I don't think he's trying to emphasize baptism as such. I believe in the New Testament, conversion and baptism are so closely uh, associated uh, historically in the book of Acts, for instance, that to be baptized, to become a Christian, you just got baptized. I think it's shorthand for in Christ. I'm not, I don't believe it is, oh, if you've got a sin problem, you need to be baptized again. In fact, there was a group uh, back in the 70s when the charismatic movement started in this country who actually built a little network 
and emphasize that, that uh, you need probably to be baptized again if you haven't actually died to sin, and we have a special formula the way we do that, and that gets you into this. I don't believe he is emphasizing baptism as such. He's talking about being in Christ, which in New Testament terms was associated, yeah, you're baptized, of course. But he's talking about being in Christ. That's what the text goes on to talk about. Obviously, the, uh, the burial and so on of baptism is associated with Christ's death and our accompaniment with him in death. But what he's going to say is this. Do you not know? There's something you need to know. It's happened to all of us. Verse 6, knowing this, our old self was crucified with him. Your old self, that old um, drivenness, that sinfulness, that preoccupation with sins, maybe anger or lust or things that seem to drive you along, make you what you wish you weren't, that old self has been crucified. You might say, well, it doesn't look very crucified to me. You should have seen me last week. You know, sometimes we don't feel very crucified. Now, the whole point of this passage is that we receive it through faith because God says it's true. God said to Abraham, you are father of a multitude, and Abraham believed God. That's how the whole thing started. He was the first of those who believed, and we are in his seed, if you like. We come through from that line of believers. So when God said to Abraham, you're father of a multitude, Abraham could have said, no, you don't know me, I haven't produced one yet. No, he said, he believed God. If God said so, it's true. And that's the line we grow. This is the victory that overcomes. It's our faith. So God says to us that we, knowing this, Paul says in verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Our old self. And so it goes on in verse 7, knowing this, that he who has died is freed from sin. God has done something fundamental. He has dealt with our problem by putting Jesus in our place. He took our guilt. He died and we died in him and with him. And that mighty breakthrough happened on the cross. When you believed in Jesus, you were put within the framework of what happened to him. And you were crucified with him. It's important for us to believe it because it says it's so. And it's very important, dear friends. Often we will come forward and be prayed for, for all sorts of things. But we mustn't lose the ground that's already ours. We have been crucified with him. It's happened already. It's a done deal. Now, I remember when this came home to me with, really vividly. I was a young Christian. I used to commute every day from Brighton to Victoria, work in London. And uh, I, as a young Christian, I was struggling. And, and, and I was suddenly in a real problem uh, with someone in our youth group, which I used to attend in those days. And uh, every time they were praised, I felt desperately jealous. And it really got to me. I thought, I've, I'm full of envy and jealousy. And I hate it. I really hate it. And I was sitting on the train uh, reading my Bible. I used to do this journey every day. And, and I'd, I'd got to this phase where I was going to read, read the Bible. And I was, I was reading it. And I, and I thought, Lord, I hate this. I hate my attitude. I'm supposed to be a Christian. And it just needs praise. And I'm thinking, ugh, mm, wish that hadn't happened again. And I think, well, how do you get free? And I read this here. It said, he, I'm reading Romans 6. Don't you know old self was crucified? He that has died... Is freed from sin. And I suddenly saw it. I thought, hey, I am in Christ. I have died. I'm freed from sin. And it was so real to me. I remember I, I laughed out loud in the train compartment. I remember all the newspapers came down. 
funny guy. <laughs> he not only reads the Bible, he laughs at it. But, but I suddenly saw it. No, I'm free. And I can honestly testify from that moment on, that was the end of it. We became excellent friends and have been ever since. I suddenly saw my new standing. I have been crucified with Christ. Now you may say, uh, I find it hard to believe. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you believe, here's a show of hands things, all right? How many of you believe that two men were crucified with Christ? One on the right hand and one on the left. Okay, look at that. The vast majority believe that. Now, why do you believe that two men were crucified with Christ? The Bible tells you so. Right, now you've got the same reason for believing that you were crucified with Christ. You believe those two were crucified? So, so here. The Bible says, you were crucified with Christ. Your old self died. Hallelujah. That's why we bury you in baptism. Not in order to kill you. That's why that idea that baptism sanctifies. No, no, you don't bury people to kill them. In fact, if someone began to move just before you're going to bury them, hold on, don't bury that person who's still alive. It's because they're dead you bury them. And when we become one with Christ, we have been crucified with him, therefore let's bury that old person. And we're raised up in newness of life. God says that is true of us. We escape the power of sin because we were in him when he was crucified. Praise God. So that basic commitment to evil has been broken. God has done an amazing thing. Do you not know? Jesus said, you know the truth. The truth will free you. It's lining up with truth. Which brings me to my next point, which is in verse 11. So the first thing we need to do is knowing my old self was crucified with him. Secondly, in verse 11, and interestingly enough, this is the first commandment in the book of Romans. We tend to churn Christianity into a load of commandments and rules and stuff. This is the first actual instruction Something you have to do. In the, he's written six chapters. And at last he's going to tell us to do some things. Because the gospel's good news. So here it comes, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we have to do is consider it's true. First, it's true because God says it's true. Don't you know it? Why? How do I know it? God said it. Secondly, I have to consider it. Now, that's my responsibility. That's something I have to do, you have to do. If you like, it's a daily process. The word is account. It's taken from the world of accountancy. And it means, literally, get in the right column. So if you're an accountant, you make sure the figure is in the right column. And what God is saying to us through Paul here is reckon or account it, account yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Consider yourself to be. In other words, first you know it's true because God says it's true. Secondly, you have to get your thinking process lined up with actual truth. The actual truth is, my old self has died. I have to catch up in my mind because my mind is vulnerable to going back to saying, I know I'm a miserable sinner. When God says, no, 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 you used to be, now you have died to sin. Now you're a saint Saint means a holy one. Paul writes to the saints at Philippi. It means all the holy people. You know, if we said this morning now, will all the holy ones stand up? We might look around and think, who's going to stand up to that? No, it's the saints. It's what we are. We are holy ones. Now, we to consider ourselves dead to sin. You must think right, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think it so because God says it so. 
you might say, Terry, is this uh, kind of mind over matter thing then? You know, if you just think it enough. Oh, you know, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. No, I'm not really. No, I'm dead to think it more. Think it more. If only you thought it more. Get it in your head. No, I'm not saying that at all. It's lining your thinking up with the truth. The truth is there, therefore think that way. Came home to me vividly, first time I went to Spain, as it happens. I, I flew in uh, to Barcelona, and as we arrived, uh, the, the, the pilot said, welcome to Barcelona, where it's four o'clock. And I looked at my watch, and it said three o'clock. I thought, what's he talking about, it's four o'clock? It's three o'clock, perfectly good watch, still going. What do you mean it's four o'clock? You know, what do you do? Keep, the, keep these people happy? Yeah, four o'clock. Of course, it's silly four. It's three o'clock, really. No, no. no, the reality is this. When you get into Spain, it's one hour ahead. It is four o'clock. So, when you get into Spain, change your watch and line up with reality. When you get into Christ, change your thinking and line up with reality. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ who died to sin and I died with him. And so I've got to think that. We've got to change my thinking. You, not because we're trying to make it happen simply by changing your watch, but change your watch because here it's different. I'm in Christ now. I've died to sin. It's the reality. Now, actually, the, the one hour into Spain is easy. It's the kind of five or six hours into Missouri or the five and a half hours into India. That's where it's difficult because your whole body, and I've just come back from India, your whole body is saying, it's the wrong time of the day. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night, everybody's asleep, thinking, what's going on, you know? And then, in the, <laughs> then during the day, you'll think, can we go to bed now, please? Because your body's sending you the wrong signals. But the reality is this, if we travel a lot internationally, the best thing to do is line up with that new time as soon as possible. Get into the reality of where I now am. Although sometimes everything in you says, it's not that time at all, really. <laughs> now, we have to understand, my old self has died to sin, God says so. That's the truth. If God says so, it's true. Secondly, think that way. Say, no, no, this is how it is. I have died to sin's power. That is God's declared reality. I need to think that way. Then thirdly, my responsibility is in verse 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Paul is saying now take responsibility for the members of your body. Sin is looking for an instrument. You know, the musicians come up and they, they take their instruments. Music doesn't just come up. No, no, we need these instruments. Sin needs an instrument. And the instrument it's used in your life mostly has been the members of your body. So your hands touch things you should never touch. Your eyes looked at things you should never look at. Your ears listened to things you should never have heard. You spoke things with your tongue you should never have said. You use these instruments to sin. Now Paul says, you are under new management, you are a new person. Now take responsibility for your members. And it's interesting, he says, the members of your mortal body. I wonder why the word mortal is in there. Why doesn't he just say body? Perhaps he's reminding us that our body is not immortal. Our body is not yet redeemed, actually. My soul is saved, but I haven't got a new body yet. 
Over in Romans 8 and 23, for instance, it says we had the first fruits of the Spirit, but we're groaning within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That's future, that's salvation future. I'm going to have a new body one day. That gets better news every year. Now, once you get past 21, it's good news, isn't it? You're going to have a new body. One day I'm going to have a new body and live in this new earth that God's going to create. Ooh, hallelujah. But that's future salvation. My body, I'm living in this mortal body. I'm not yet living in an immortal, transformed body that's experienced salvation. That's future salvation. So at the moment, I've got this new person that's died to sin. It's alive in God and it's living in a body that used to sin a lot. And so now, as this new person, it's no good saying, let go and let God. I have to take responsibility. Stop doing that. Stop looking at that. And this body's got all kinds of routines in it and things it used to do. And I take authority over it by virtue of the new person I am. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans 6. God has done the big task in our being crucified on the cross with Christ. Now we have to think right and we have to act responsibly. So we take actions that are appropriate to a new person. And we don't let our old body dictate to us the things we do. And so you take responsible action. So sometimes people say, well, of course I try to live the Christian life, but actually I I get this newspaper um, mostly because the sport is so good. uh, But on page three, every time I open it, I think, oh, gosh, I get all stirred up and I, I get all lustful thoughts. And hey, listen, I've got an amazing revelation for you. Don't take that newspaper. You see, sometimes people say, oh, I watch late night television. I'm tired sometimes. I watch the late night movie and, wow, I get all stirred up. Now, here again, amazing revelation here. Don't watch the late night movies. In other words, you take decisions. Me and my girlfriend, we're not engaged yet, but we think we mean business. But when we're alone at night together, you know, we go too far probably. Make some decisions. In the light of the fact you are a holy child of God now, take responsibility for your mortal body and say, Hi, I'm a child of the king. I'm not just going to follow the way these members used to be instruments of sin. That's our responsibility. Sanctification then has a do-it-yourself aspect. One of the chapters in my book on God's lavish grace is DIY. You have to do it yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. There's a lovely song we sometimes sing which has the line in it, I choose to be holy. It starts, purify my heart, there's the work of God. And then there comes that response, yes, and I choose to be holy. The godly life often is based on lots of good choices. You just choose, you say, I'm going to live differently. By how, what, to drag myself up by my shoelaces? No, by virtue of the fact I'm a new person in here, I don't have to live that way anymore. I take responsibility. I stop it. I'm not going to go and watch that computer website while no one's looking. No, no, don't. Make the choice. Get out of there. We're not going there. As one of my young friends, preacher in our family of churches, said at a youth group recently, said, young men will stand. Young men, put your hands on your chest. Young men, say after me, this is the only chest my hands are going on. I choose to be holy. You say, well, some people say, I can't help yourself. Hey, I thought you were a Christian. 
I thought you'd been born again. What do you mean you can't help yourself? You're making silly choices. You're a new person now. Live it out. Live it out. And you'll find as you look at all the epistles, there's that turning point. In view of all these things God has done, therefore, live it out. It's not so mysterious. It's step by step, very clear what we have to do. See, sin has not been eradicated from my body, but my old self has died. And I am a new person. On the inside, I am a new person, and so are you. You're not hopeless. You're not at the mercy of the dictators of the flesh. You have been changed on the inside. It's very important. What, what do we think when we say born again? What do we believe happened then? We use that phrase, I was born again. Now, you'll find sometimes the sports writers want to steal that phrase from us. You'll, you'll see somebody who hasn't played well for a while. Maybe some snooker player has lost and lost and suddenly, hey, he's back in, he's winning. And so it's born again, Stephen Hendry or something. Some guy's beginning to win again. Born again, some boxer. He's stopped, he's playing. And they love that phrase. That they're stealing it from us. They mean he's having another go. But that's not what it means in the Bible. It doesn't mean having another go. To be born isn't having another go. Some friends of ours, they had their first two little ones they had in hospital. They decided to have their third child at home. And they had their two little toddlers. And, and the evening came, the night for the birth came. They put the toddlers to bed. And in the morning, the baby was born in the night. In the morning, the two toddlers come down the stairs and say, Who's he? He wasn't here last night. See, when you're born, it wasn't there before. We've been born again. What, what do you feel you are, basically? Do you feel that, you know, if we took away enough of the kind of onion skins of the outer covering, what do you think's there at the heart? We sometimes think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son went away from home, he got into sin, you know, he got in among the pigs, and then he woke up. Oh, my father, he pays better than, I'll go home to my father. And the father greets him and puts the robe around him. We sometimes think of the robe of righteousness as simply covering. If you open the robe underneath, still the pigs. No, no, we're not just covered, we are born again. There's a new person on the inside. It's not that essentially and basically a Christian is one sinner telling another sinner how to find bread. No, we're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, behold, new creature, new creation, actually all about. We've been created again. God's done an amazing new thing in us. If you think essentially who you are is a sinner, then you're in problems. It's a battle. Let me just imagine, so there's so this uh, screen here, you see the back of that, that, let's imagine that's a pig, okay, use your powers of imagination, okay, that's a pig, pig, you are a pig, okay, happy pig, pig, that's a pig, right, pig, you are a pig, your identity is pig, alright, he's happy, pig, right, pig, your identity is pig, your calling in life, listen, your calling in life is, are you listening? Fly! Now, I've just made him a very miserable pig. Because his identity, pig, and his calling in life, fly, 
are so different, he's going to be miserable the rest of his life. Now, many people think like that. But identity, I'm a Christian. Well, a Christian is this. He's kind of a sinner, really. Essentially sinner. Got some covering, but essentially sinner. His calling in life is be holy. Your identity and your calling are so out of sync, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. God says, I'll put a new heart within you. I'll put a new spirit within you. I, I will cause you to walk in my ways. God is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. He's changed you. He's transformed you. God's done a phenomenal work to set us free. Praise his wonderful name. But you must know that. You've got to know truth that frees you. The truth frees you. It's the reality of what God says is true. So we take responsibility for that. And notice also it says in verse 17, Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now notice the past tense again. I'm just going to borrow uh, this here. I don't need the sound, so please don't. Get alarmed, sound of men. Just want this wire. Right, so Paul's saying here, thanks be to God, you were slaves of sin. Verse 18, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So we're slaves of sin. Right, so sin is your master. You're his slave. So, so sin says, come on, okay. Sin dictates, you're his slave. That's how it was. You used to be slaves of sin. You're in absolute power of sin. You have to do what he says. But Paul says here, thanks be to God, you were slaves of sin. Verse 18, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Having been freed from sin, what happened? Well, sin, sin said, come on, slave, we're going out. So out we go. Where are we going? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's a slave market. Let's, we're going to, you're standing in the slave market. And in comes righteousness. Righteousness walks in, looks at you, says, hmm, I think I'll buy you. Oh, no, I'm slave of sin. Okay, I'll buy you. Oh, full price? Yeah, I'll buy you, full price. Okay. I'm not slave of sin anymore. Righteousness says, come on then. Okay. Oh, right. Slave of righteousness now. Righteousness says, come on, slave. Oh, okay. In utter bondage to righteousness. Can't help myself. Keep on doing righteous stuff. You know, crossing the street and helping people who move in and try and show them the love of Jesus. Why do you do that stuff? Well, I'm a bit of a slave of it. Can't get enough of it. I want to go to camp, listen to meetings day after day. Oh, yeah, let's go. Why? Well, I'm a bit of a slave. I'm a slave to righteousness. That's what you are. The Bible doesn't say try and be. It's not an exhortation. It's an announcement. This is what has happened to you. You used to be a slave of sin. You are not anymore. You see, sometimes Christians need the gospel preached to them. I'm not a slave of sin anymore, nor are you. You say, well, I have these problems. You don't have to have them. You used to. You don't have to have them anymore. You've been freed. These are announcements, dear friends. And we live in the good of them. God has set us free. We are no longer in bondage. And so we find ourselves doing things we would never have thought we would do. Because, wow, we made these cho- choices have been made in our inner man. And we live a new kind of a life out from that. Now, sometimes people say, well, 
I can't kind of help myself. I just, no, one John says this, he that is born of God doesn't sin. Most translations will say continually or habitually. It's a present tense. He, see, Paul, John says this, I'm writing these things to you that you don't sin. He that's born of God doesn't sin. Now in the same epistle it says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. It's rather like uh, living in a, a grand country house which has a magnificent front door with steps and pillars and that's the way in and out of the house which is I write these things to you that you may not sin he that's born of God doesn't sin there's also a kind of an emergency exit which says if any man sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin but God wants us to use the front door and not to be sin conscious all the time, but to be experiencing righteousness and mercy and grace and power to overcome. And then sometimes, oh dear, I did, I shouldn't have done it. Hey, that doesn't say, oh, I sinned. All that Terry Virgo said, that's a waste of time. I'm back to where I was before. No, 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 no. We sinned. We say, I'm sorry, Lord. And we use the emergency exit. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us. We don't throw in the towel and say, oh, I'm hopeless again. And that's where, beloved, we have to really be diligent. We have to fight the fight of faith. To understand that I am free. And then sometimes, in spite of the fact that you're free, maybe we're a young Christian, maybe one reason or another, we, we do something we should never have done. It's very important immediately to come to God and say, Lord, I am sorry. I receive your forgiveness now. I stand righteous, complete. I believe what you say about me is true. I am not going to throw it all away. I stand where I am. I don't slide all the way back down the mountain. I slipped over up here. I'm getting up up here. I'm not right back down where I was. No, I'm sorry about that, Lord. Now, Satan will contest that in your mind. So you do something you shouldn't have done. And guilt rises up. And Satan says, you better keep away from God. Don't talk to God for a day or two. You know, pray later on. You can't go to God now. You still feel the, the lust, you still feel the anger, you still feel the resentment. All that was welling up, still there. Don't go to God now. Leave it a few days. Later, you know, it won't be so bad. Come back to him, I'm sorry about what happened a few days ago. When it's not so raw. No, come while it's raw. And come to God and say, Lord, I am sorry now. And Satan will contest it in your mind. He'll say, oh, that's words. That's very easy. After what you just did, oh, just words. That will do it for you, will it? And he'll argue with you. And you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And you say, no, I am not yielding from this ground. God says, I am a new creation. I receive your forgiveness, Lord. And it's very important, beloved, receive forgiveness. No going asking for it and then going away and saying, I'm so sorry. No, you come and take and receive. We come to the throne of mercy, the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and grace to help. We come and receive it straight away so that we walk in this newness of life that God has provided for us. Hallelujah. That's who we are. That's what God has done for us by his wonderful grace. Now again, there'll be sometimes people say, well, I can't help myself. There's this, there's this particular sin that always ensnares me. It's like I can stand, I can stand like a ten pin. But once the ball comes down, 
I'm finished. I'm down every time. Oh, God, here it comes. Yeah, I can't help myself. Oh, I've done it again. So sorry, Lord. I just can't help it. It's so powerful. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there isn't a temptation like that. He said, no, no, it's very difficult for me. People don't understand. It's hard for me. But Paul says in 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now, if you read the commentators, you'll, say, you'll see they say it could mean two different things. It's common to man is like it could mean it's just that everybody knows about it. See, sometimes people say, well, I've got this problem. No one else understands. Nobody knows the trouble I know. No one knows this particular. No, no, no. There's no sin, but such is is, is common to man. And it goes on. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Or it could be understood to mean it's man-sized. In the sense it's common to man. In other words, it's, it's not like it's king-sized. You know, when this problem is so great, it's like a Goliath, it dominates my life, I can't help. No, there is no temptation, such a, but such as is common to man, it's man-sized. But no, 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 it's huge, no, no, it's man-sized. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. But with the temptation, we'll make a way of escape, so that you're able to bear it. That's the promise of the scripture. There is no temptation too great. I wonder if you remember the extraordinary ministry of Paul Kane a few years ago. I was uh, in Kansas City decades ago now, I suppose, in a meeting where there were about 2,000 people, and he started naming people. Extraordinary gift. And he actually he named Wendy and me. They named our five kids. I mean, in front, it went for about 40 minutes, naming people. Tears, shouts, laughter. One, you know, it's just phenomenal. And he described exactly where they were. My daughter had just met a South African. He said, you're... And he named them. Anna. How do you know my daughter's called Anna? You have a South African in your heart. He thought, how's she? And she's married down there now. <laughs> she's, she's married living in Cape Town now with three grandchildren. I guess she does have a South African in her heart. And then came to Simon, who was my next son, who was away from God at that time. And his tone of voice changed. We had the... We had the uh, cassette, listened to it many times. Satan's desire to have you. He quoted that verse. And he, he described exactly what was in, t- in it. He said, but you will come back. And he did come back. You know, it was an amazing, amazing thing. Well, he, he told me, I got to know him a bit after that, I guess briefly, about 15 years ago now. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, once he went to a house, God sent him to a house. And uh, this, the man greeted him and uh, he said... In the course of conversation, he said, uh, I have a terrible problem, actually. He said, I've, I've committed adultery several times. He said, but I have a wonderful wife. And she's forgiven me every time. And she, she knows about it, but she's taken me back. She's a wonderful wife. And God knows about it. He said, God, God is so merciful. God knows. I, I just can't help it. It's just something in me. I, and I thank God for my wife. I thank God for... He knowing about it. And Paul Cain said to him, yes, he said, God does know about it. He said, yeah. He said, he said that's why I'm here. He said, oh, really? He said, God says this to you. If you do it again, you will die. <laughs> and Paul Cain said, he never did it again. He was immediately, whoa, whoa, free. Whoa. Amazing, amazing. Whoa, got free in a moment. 
Hey. Who, who are we kidding when we say, oh, I can't really help it. It's the kind of problem I've got. The Bible says there isn't one like that. There isn't one like that. And the Bible says this one day, difference, we will stand before the white light of God's presence. I want you to imagine, he, he may say to you, was there any temptation too great? Now, which of us is going to say to God, yeah, actually, I think you got it wrong. The what? No, I don't think anyone's going to argue. I think when you get before God, no one's going to argue. We're going to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You can say, was there any temptation too great? No, 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 there wasn't one, Lord. Now, one day, you and I will confess that. One day, we will confess there was no temptation too great. You set me free. You made me a slave of righteousness. You promised there wouldn't be temptations too hard for me. You promised it. And so, Lord, you're true to your promises. One day, you will confess that. Why don't we boldly confess it now? Why don't we on a daily basis say, there is no temptation too great for me? You say, but when I... No, no, don't go there then. Make good decisions. See, it says in Proverbs, the wise man doesn't go down the street of a prostitute. But you say, well, it's the shortest route. I mean, you're all the way around there. It's the shortest route. I'm okay, I'm safe. I know she's down there, but I'm going through. Proverbs says, the wise man does a detour. Beloved, to live the holy life, and shouldn't we? Doesn't God want it? Doesn't God want his church in stark contrast to our generation? He has made adequate provision for us to live a different lifestyle. Let's not be cheap and say, well, I couldn't help it. Jesus paid the price to make you free. Jesus has set us free. And so this chapter which begins, shall we carry on sinning? so that grace may abound, comes to this 14th verse where it says, sin shall not be master over you. That's not an exhortation, it's a plain statement. That is God's assessment. Sin shall not be your master. Why? Well, why? Well, because we're not under law, we're under grace. That's what it says. Grace has really freed us. Grace does not bring the standard down. Grace does not say, in the Old Testament, God was kind of heavy, very legal, onto you a lot, and well, somehow he got over that, and the New Testament is much more friendly, and it's kind of understanding now, and the standards come down to meet you where you are, not at all. The Bible says this, the law made no one holy. It couldn't. It couldn't produce holiness. It was impotent. It couldn't impart life. But we now are in grace. And actually, it says in Titus 2 and 14, grace teaches me to say no. To all kinds of sin. It's not that law is saying, thou shalt not. Grace is teaching me to say, no thank you. It comes from me now. It's a conviction. It's an, it's an inner transformation. God has set us free. God has changed us. Changed our value system, our disposition. Now we have to, this is without getting into Romans 8 and the work of the Spirit. The energy factor of the Spirit. This is simple Christian living. God has delivered us. Just like those Israelites, they were not only covered by the blood that meant God passed over their sin, not only the blood that made them acceptable, but they came to the Red Sea, they looked like they're shut in, there's no way forward. But hallelujah, the sea opened. They went down into a kind of a death and up into a resurrection and all, all the Egyptian army tried to pursue them 
went down into the sea and were closed in. Sometimes when Satan says to you, actually, I've got you, I've got you, you want to turn around to say to him, how many Egyptians got through the Red Sea? Not one. We are free. We are the other side. We are in resurrection life. We have great and precious promises whereby we escape the corruption that's in the world and are partakers of the divine nature. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're free, beloved. God has done it. Let's celebrate it. Let's live it to his praise and glory. Let's pray together. Shall we stand to pray? I'd like to read to you as we stand together a little poem of John Bunyan's. John Bunyan, a great preacher of grace. Amazing preacher of grace. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote this little poem. He said this, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids you fly and gives you wings. I'll just read it again, it's a magnificent little statement. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids you fly and gives you wings. I'd like, to, I'd like to just lead you in a, a brief prayer, if I may. A prayer of acknowledgement of truth. A prayer of thanks, really. Of thanking God. You may see I've said many contrasts, both yesterday and today. Yesterday, we were saying we're not married to the law. We're married to Christ. I'm not, not under law. I'm under grace. Now we're saying I'm not in Adam. I'm in Christ. I'm not a slave of sin, I am my identity, I am a slave of righteousness. These things are true of you and of me. They're true of us. It's not, beloved, true if you come and I lay hands on you and it gets to be true. It is true. There are many things we can be so helped by people praying for us and grace imparted. Yes, yes, yes. But please don't miss the absolute truth of this thing. It's true of you. It's something we have to accept, own, change our watches, say, hey, this is who I am. Own up to it, celebrate it. We're saints. We're holy ones of God by the phenomenal work of the cross and the resurrection. Then obviously the whole work of the Spirit we haven't in coming to Romans 8. But knowing who we are is so releasing. So I, want to, I just want to lead you, and if you would please, I'd like you to just repeat little phrases after me, if you don't mind doing that. And I'm going to say things we were not. And thank God that we're not them anymore. I'm going to ask you, if you're happy to do this, to take a step in that direction altogether when I tell you to. And then we'll say, now, thank you, this is we, who we are now. It's a kind of owning it. Right? It's not an experience. You know, it's not saved, baptized, speaking tongues, and step to the right experience. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not an experience. And you don't have to do it. Think, oh, it's nonsense. I'm doing, not. You don't have to do it. Just let the guy tread on you next to you. <laughs> It's just, it's just helping to say, this is true of me. And knowing this truth sets you free. That's what the Bible says. So I'll, I'll, I'll just pray some short prayers in a moment. Let's just draw near to God. And we do know that truth, we do want the truth accompanied by the Spirit's help. Oh Lord, I do ask you please that your Spirit will continue to rest upon us. That the truth that I've tried to bring phrase by phrase through this chapter might... Lord, lastingly, do everyone in this room 
tremendous good. So Holy Spirit, would you please, right now, rest upon us, I pray. Just say these uh, phrases after me then. Thank you, God, I'm no longer married to the law. Thank you, God, I'm no longer married to the law. Thank you, God, I am not under law. Thank you, God, I am not under law. Thank you, God, I'm no longer in Adam. Thank you, God, I am no longer in Adam. Thank you, God, I am no longer a slave of sin. Thank you, God, I am no longer a slave of sin. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's just take that step, all right? Just step over. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, I am married to you. Thank you, Lord, I am under grace. Thank you, Lord, I am in Christ. Thank you, Lord, I am a slave of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, I am a slave of righteousness. Now, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit just to come upon us. Seal these realities in our hearts, I pray. Seal and settle them. I pray for a joyful outworking of your word, Lord, that it bears much fruit in our lives, that we, Lord, are more buoyant and confident and clear, ministering out of greater certainty, greater peace and joy, not so vulnerable anymore to Satan's accusation. Father, I ask you, teach us to put on this breastplate of righteousness, to, to hold up the shield of faith, Lord, to refuse his accusations, his constant bombardment of telling us that we're no good. Lord Jesus, thank you. You have declared us righteous as a gift. Thank you that you have said you are mine. We bless you. We're accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Lord, that we've been crucified with Christ Oh God, that we have been buried with him, raised with him, seated with him now in the heavenlies. Oh Holy Spirit, come and make these things so experimentally real. Help us to make wise, godly people, making good choices on a daily basis, refusing to compromise, walking away from the borderline. We do pray, Lord Jesus, we don't want to get the kind of accent that lives on the borderline. We want to live and speak, as it were, your language and live in your uh, wonderful kingdom. So, Holy Spirit, bless my dear friends here today. Let this truth be life-changing for many, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Terry Virgo, which has been made available to you by kind permission of Vineyard UK.